Eight years ago now, Mark was cured of his Dravet syndrome and autism when he was born into heaven at the age of five and a half. I'm never going to forget the day that Mark passed away. He had a one-hour ride on his school bus to go to a special autism class uh, in town. And he came home, and every day he had a whole all-day kindergarten class, and he just was so worn out from that. He would always come home and take a nap, but he was also full boy, so it was hard to stay in bed. And so I'd have to stay in his room to make sure he'd fall asleep. And that day was different than any other day. And he got up, and he ran across the room, crawled up in my lap, and gave me a big hugging kiss. And my nickname for him was Bubba. I said, I know, Bubba. I love you, too. And I went, I put him back in bed. And then a couple minutes later, he just popped straight up in bed. And even though he had very, he had 30-word vocabulary, that was it. But he could sing two songs. He could sing, You Are My Sunshine, and Jesus Loves Me. And he sat up and started singing, Jesus Loves Me. I went over to him, I go, yeah. I think you're right. Jesus loves you. And so does Daddy. I hugged him. Gave him a kiss. And waved him down. And he went to sleep. And he woke up in Jesus' arms. And I know that he knew what was coming. Because it was his way of telling me, Hey, Daddy, it's okay. I love you but I'm going to a better place. I'm going to be healed. And I can't wait to be with Jesus because I love him and he loves me. And even though that's one of the worst days of my life, I thank God for that and how that happened. And through all that, God has drastically changed my life. You're listening to the Reframing Ministries podcast, providing help, hope, healing, and humor for people walking through pain. Here's our host, Colleen Swindoll Thompson. Hey guys, I'm so excited about the podcast that you're about to hear. It's one that includes miraculous healing, issues dealing with career gains and losses, loss of a child autism, and so many more things that are just unbelievable. It's going to fill you with hope. And because of that, I want to start off with something that I found not long ago. A quote, it says, I know of no greater need today than the need for joy and encouragement. Ours is a world of sad and even grim faces. One of the highest of human desires and duties is to encourage others. It's easy to laugh at men's ideals. It's easy to pour cold water on their enthusiasm. It's easy to discourage others. The world is full of discouragers. We have the Christian duty to encourage one another. Many times, one word of praise or thanks or appreciation or cheer has kept a person on their feet. And that is exactly what we're going to be doing today. I want to welcome Steve Doc. Hensley for this podcast. Thank you for being with us today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. 
Doc, the first time that we talked, I was just shocked with your story. So why don't you just start from the beginning and we'll go from there. All right. Well, you know, first off, you know, everyone knows me as Doc, but obviously that's not my real name. My real name's Stephen, and and uh, everyone calls me Doc because I'm actually a pediatrician. I'm I'm a medical doctor, and and I was a pediatrician who who worked in a, a children's emergency room and urgent care, and I kept getting sick from my patients, and ended up in the intensive care unit and spent 45 days in the intensive care unit and almost died. I actually got sick from my patients and almost died and should have died. Three different times, they contacted my wife and told her to come to the hospital because they didn't expect me to make it through the night and uh, to make plans because uh, they said I, I was the sickest patient they ever had and never expected me to, to leave the hospital. And, and God had his hand on me through that the entire time and and definitely had different plans and, and allowed me to leave leave the hospital. But, you know, I was so sick and they were working so hard at, you know, keeping my heart working and all my vital organs from working that they forgot to give me nutrition during that. And as a result, I lost 75 pounds of muscle mass and ended up having to go through nine months of rehab just to be able to walk again. At the time, you know, went through all the, the rehab and got back to work. And even though I've had my flu shot, uh, ended up with influenza. And that sent me right back in the intensive care unit, almost died again. It was, you know, during that fight that, again, when God had his hand on me and, and allowed me to, to recover through that and make it back out. And then it was just a couple months later that I'm back at work now realizing that probably need to work more in the administrative side of medicine instead of with direct patient care. And my first day back from paternity leave from my second son being born, I'm blessed with three kids and wonderful wife, Kay, and, and my three kids. Uh, Luke's my oldest. He's now 17. And, and Sarah's our youngest. She's now nine. But Mark was born. And uh, my first day back from paternity leave, my boss contacted me and said, hey, hey, Dr. Hunsley, we need you to come down town to the hospital. And there's an important meeting you have to be at. And I'm like, well, what's it about? And he goes, I, I really don't know. Just come on downtown and, and I'll find out as soon as you get here. So got downtown, walked into a room, and there was a good-sized room with every boss I had um, all the way uh, up to uh, chief of the medical officer and the entire HR department, a couple rows of, of attorneys, um, several physicians I've never met or seen in my life, and then one chair in front of the room uh, facing everybody. And that one chair was for me. If your illness didn't kill you, I think that might have. <laughs> that would be terrifying. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And and talk about seeing the writing on the wall. Uh, I definitely saw the writing on the wall. And it was at that time that the, everybody said, you know, Dr. Hunsley, you know, you are a wonderful physician. We love having you here. And, and you've been uh, great for us. But uh, you've now become a medical legal risk, and we are afraid that you can get sick and die, and your family can sue us. And as a result, we can't take that risk. Therefore, immediately, you are now on long-term disability. You are disabled and from practicing medicine, and you will never practice again. 
And my life just flashed before me uh, because that's all I've ever wanted to do since I was in first grade was to be a pediatrician. And now in just a matter of minutes, I'm being told your career is done. You are never going to do what you've trained so hard for, gone to so many years of schooling, done so many years of residency, worked endless hours, had, you know, hundreds of thousand dollars worth of student loans now to see it all done. And I have to hang up my stethoscope permanently and just, you know, kind of knocked my feet out from under me. And uh, I'm like, oh, my goodness, God, what are you doing to me? And why? Why is this happening? You know, I, God, I know this is what your will is for me. I, this is all I've ever wanted. Why? Why is this happening? And so at that point, and then I quickly also realized that I wasn't just disabled from practicing pediatrics. I wasn't allowed to practice any medicine because I had become such a medical legal risk. I couldn't be around anybody sick because they were afraid I could get sick and ended up dying. One of my main complications that nobody can understand how it happened or how, how I got it, the main muscle allows you to breathe is the diaphragm. And to our knowledge to date, I'm the only person in the world that half of my diaphragm is paralyzed. If it was completely paralyzed, I'd be dead. And if I didn't have healthy lungs before this, I would be dead. But God, you know, watched over me, allowed me to have healthy lungs where my dad and brother both have severe asthma. If they had it, they would not be able to survive it. But because I've got healthy lungs, I've got this half paralysis of my diaphragm. I just can't fight off upper respiratory infections well. As a result, I don't have any exercise tolerance anymore. And so I then took the hardest job I've ever had in my life, and that was to become Mr. Mom uh, at the time of my two boys, and went on doing that. Meanwhile, still trying to fight as hard as I could to still do medicine just to come up to every closed door, every closed window, um, not just being shut, but slammed shut in my face again crying out, God, why are you doing this to me? Hmm. I want to say you were so humble in how you explained the first illness that you had, which I think is pronounced Dravau syndrome. I mean, you should not be alive. Yeah. Yeah. So for, for everything that I had, um, you know, with me, you know, they did not, you know, I ended up with rheumatic fever with that was one of my primary things and for me what what is so rare with that is normally it attacks the heart years later but for me it attacked my heart immediately it looked like i was having a heart attack um at age 35 and my my heart was shutting down my heart went into multiple arrhythmias and it's about 99.9 percent fatal when it's that early, you know, attacks that hard and that fast. And uh, doctors did not realize that's what was happening with me at the time. It was several days later, despite me telling them I had, I, I had my diagnosis. I knew what I had. No one expected me to have that because it's so rare, let alone have it affect the heart that quick. And God just watched over me. And then I had something else called cardiac tamponade which is where you get fluid around the heart. And mine was, again, very rare with that. Normally, you know, you find that through some some testing and that. They actually 
thought I was having what's called a pulmonary embolus, a big blood clot in my lungs because I couldn't breathe and my heart rate was, was getting so high and my breathing was so bad. So they did a CT scan on me and on the CT scan, they diagnosed that I had all this extra fluid around my heart. And I'll never forget, I was, it was the middle of the night, they called my wife in and the uh, heart surgeon was talking to her and said, you know, your husband's got fluid around the heart. My, my wife's a pediatrician as well. So she definitely has the medical knowledge and, and he explained everything to her and he said, I don't think there's that much fluid there. We can either put a needle into his heart and drain everything now or wait till the morning and do it. I remember, Colleen, that I was laying there and I'm screaming at the top of my voice, do it now. But I was working so hard to breathe that nobody could hear me oh my say a word. And thank God my wife said, do it now. And he did. He put a needle into my chest and into my heart and he drained out almost 1,000 cc's out of my heart almost a liter out oh of my, my heart gosh. and he was shocked there was that much and he he then told me and told my wife that i probably had less than 10 minutes left to live if he had waited to the morning i would not have made it so again it was god and, and the holy spirit prompting my wife to say to do it now because all the medical professionals were saying no you don't need to do it now there's plenty of time there's no no need to rush it in the middle of the night. Let's try to stabilize his breathing. So again, it's just, you know, absolute miracle. God, God using my wife and speaking to her to, to do that. Um, because just right then and there, um, I should not have survived that. And he still talks about that to this day. You know, I saw him just a few months ago for my checkup and, and he's like, I've, I've never seen anyone like you in my life. I still can't believe that much fluid came out of your heart. I mean, I hear um, a lot. I hear that and I don't have heart issues. <laughs> There's no yeah. one like you in the world. It, it makes your heart skip a bit. <laughs> exactly. But yeah. I mean, knowing that and then hearing you can't practice medicine, which you long to do your entire life. You studied for it. You prepared for it. God brought you through all this stuff. When you were told you cannot practice medicine, how did you deal with that with the Lord? Uh, it, I mean, it, it was a kick to the gut. Um, it really was. And, and I fought with God over it. You know, I, I kept asking why, because I'm going, you know, God, this is all I want to do. I loved medicine. Again, that's to you. You can ask my first grade teacher, you know, as a first grader, I said, I wanted to be a pediatrician. She goes, do you even know what that is? I go, absolutely. That's a baby doctor. Mm. Uh, and my entire life had been geared towards that. All my studies, everything I've, I've done, I, I sacrificed, I gave up some things that I love to do to do that. I quit playing baseball. I quit doing other things so that I could, could focus on my studies all to see it disappear in just a matter of minutes. And not only that, to have someone else make that decision for me. I couldn't even make that decision. It was someone else making that decision. So you were just slammed. It, it, absolutely. I, I said, you know what, I'll, I'll sign waivers saying, you know, we won't sue. I'll let me continue to practice. I, I, we, our family won't sue. We're not looking to do any of this. I want to still practice. And it was just out of my hands. And, and God said, no. And little did I know that, that was all part of God's plan. And honestly, I just had to shut up and wait to see what God's plan was. And it just took time. But I was angry. I was frustrated with God. 
Had you ever been angry before? Uh, not like that. Hmm. Um, I, I had been frustrated with God before, um, but never angry um, like that, you know, because uh, I, I felt, you know, God was, was taking something away from me that I so desperately wanted and felt like he allowed me to get there. And I had worked so hard to get there and to, to do that and see that um, again, just to see it just disappear overnight. And then on top of that, knowing how close to death I was and to sit there and go through all the rehab and, and fight through all that to make it all the way back and, and get to the point where I felt healthy again, just to be told, Oh, well, congrats on doing that, but you're not going to be doing this anymore. It was just a, a massive kick to the gut and, and going, you know, God, why are you doing this? What's, what's your plan for me? And, and I guess that was the big question I kept asking you was why God, why are you doing this? And I really consider myself lucky because God showed me fairly soon why um, that was. And, and I didn't see the full story for a while, but I, he started bringing me into to that whole conversation um, with everything. You know, it's interesting. I pulled something on waiting um, because you were obviously in a position of waiting after surviving and studying and succeeding and then being knocked down. I'm thinking of shoots and ladders, the game that we play with our kids where you hit that mm -hmm. one place and you go all the way back to the beginning again. Absolutely. And yeah. this, this writing says, waiting on God requires the willingness to bear uncertainty, to carry within oneself the unanswered question, lifting the heart to God about whatever it is that is intruding your thoughts. Learning mm. the benefits of perseverance is hard. Sometimes you think, I will move slowly from the Lord. And your agenda mm -hmm. seems more important than what you'll learn in the process of waiting. But hold on and be patient. When you think I'm not responding to your prayer, I'm already in the process of giving you an answer, just not the response you were looking for. That's right where you were. Absolutely. I was right in the center of that. And just kicking and screaming. And for all of you who are in that, it's okay to kick and scream because God knows that's right where you are. Mm -hmm. I mean, you've been there, Doc. I've been there. And it's, there's nothing we can do but say, I'm limited. I don't get this and I hate it. So what did you do from there? So at, at that point, I, I then, you know, and, and the one thing I, I, I'll say first with that is, Absolutely, there's nothing wrong with ever questioning God, and there's nothing wrong with being mad at God with that. But the, the thing that we forget so many times is we, we say, you know, well, God, are you even with me? And, and he's always there with us. We just sometimes forget to look for him uh, when those dark times come in our life. Um, but he's always there. And some of the times we can't see him is because without us realizing it, God's already picked us up and he's carrying us and he's picking us up out of the, the darkness and the sludge so that we don't have to get down even lower and we can't see him because he's holding us up over his head hmm. and we're just not looking hard enough. And so that's, that's where I found myself with that too. But for me, what, what I did next was I, I took the hardest job I ever had in my life. 
And that was become Mr. Mom for my two boys at the time. So I started taking care of and of the, my two boys and, and helping them out. And life was going well. I kept trying to find other avenues that I could do medicine and other ways to, to practice. But like I said, God just kept slamming those doors shut. But then all of a sudden, you know, uh, Mark turned eight months old and every month we would take pictures of him and, and my, my family lives in Phoenix. And so we would always send pictures out to them his every one month birthday to help them see how he's growing uh, since they couldn't be here all the time and, and to share that with grandparents and family and, and we had just gotten done taking pictures of him on his eight-month birthday, and he was playing with his little house that he had. And he pushed a button on his little house and rang the doorbell, and he just fell backwards. My wife and I were both with him, and he falls backwards, and he has a grand mal seizure. His entire body starts shaking. And obviously having two pediatricians there, we both first thing immediately checked our watch because that's the first thing you do whenever there's a seizure is, you know, check the time so you know exactly how long it lasts. And we're expecting it to slow down after a minute or two. We come up on five minutes and the seizure's still going strong. So we ended up having called 911. And long story short, that seizure lasted over four hours. I, I watched my son seize for over four hours. They had to take him to the closest emergency room, which was an adult emergency room, which did not know how to properly take care of an eight-month-old. They never had done that. The emergency room doctor had no idea what to do. And again, here now, I'm just eight months out from doing this every day in my life. And I fighting my, I'm in the room there with him. They love me in. And I'm fighting with myself, trying to treat my son. They can't get an airway. They can't get IVs on him. And I'm literally watching my son die in front of my eyes as they, I'm watching the medical staff trying their best to take care of him, but just because they're not trained and they don't know what to do, they were inadequately prepared. Um, and, and God allowed, as I was sitting there praying and just that they would listen to me and, and help me reach out to the children's hospital here. God answered those prayers and allowed them to reach the children's hospital. We got them there and finally got that stopped, but jump ahead a little bit more. By the time he was 18 months, we got the diagnosis of Dravet syndrome, which is a very rare genetic seizure disorder. And then by the time Mark was two, we got the diagnosis of autism. So Kay, my wife, and I, both being physicians who took care of a lot of kids with special needs, all of a sudden we became parents of a child with special needs. And, and our life changed, and for the first time in our life, we, we understood. We actually got it. We, we knew for the first time just how hard it is that being a parent of a child with special needs is a 24-7, 365-day job, that the stress level is incredibly high, that you can't go out, your whole life changes, that you can't get uh, the neighbor girl to come take care of your, your child, that, um, you know, I can't tell you the number of times, Colleen, that I've been out in public at a store and, and Mark is having a meltdown, mm. an autistic meltdown, and I'm doing the, the appropriate right things to help him. And I have complete strangers who have no idea what autism is 
come up to me and tell me not only that I'm a bad parent, but I'm a horrible parent, <laughs> or they contact the police because they're saying I'm neglecting my child or I'm, I'm uh, being cruel to my child. And then the police come up and they're also ignorant about special needs and autism. Right. And then I'm having to deal with them and, and trying to, or they're trying to talk to me about arresting me and that and it's just, the, you know, what every family has to go through. And just my eyes have been open to that. And on top of that, then just even trying to find a church to go to is hard. Um, and, and going to church is, is tough. So our life completely changed with that. And, you know, it was at those points that I'm like, okay, God, I get it. You allowed me to lose my medical career so that I can now take care of my son so that I can, can help him and be there for him. Uh, Cause we had seizures almost daily. Um, and uh, Mark was not as profoundly affected as some, some of the, Individuals with Dravet syndrome, you know, they can have thousands of seizures a day, and it's a multi-drug needed to treat these seizures. Um, Mark wasn't that severe, but we did have multiple seizures, and and it was tough. And then he became nonverbal with his autism, and we saw a lot of regression. So it was just a a, a whole whole new step of our life, and we had to learn a whole new normal for us. Our, our everything that we used to know changed. All of the dreams that we had um, for Mark were gone. We had to go through the grief of what we had for our our son because all I knew all the dreams I had of him growing up and being able to maybe go to college and and have have his own family and take care of himself and do this and do that. All those things have drastically changed because now my thoughts are, who's going to be able to take care of my son once I'm gone? Will he ever be able to provide for himself? You know, those are all things that now I started to think through at that time. So I, I no longer was sitting here going, okay, God, why did you take away my career? I completely changed. And I'm now focused on, on my son. And strange enough, I didn't get that mad with God when I got the, we got the diagnosis of special needs. Um, for Mark. I, in fact, I don't remember being upset or mad at all with God. We we were thankful, and 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 I know that's all part of God's plan, and it's not a m- mistake. Mark is completely, fearfully, and wonderfully made. He's created in God's image and likeness, and there's no difference between him and me. We are both created in God's image. It's just he's a little different than I am, but we're both perfect in God's eyes uh, with that. And uh, so God changed changed my perspective on how I had to look at things and, and go through. And, and so instead of fighting for my career all the time, I now had to become the primary advocate for my son. And my life changed where I all of a sudden find myself being an advocate for Mark. And as a result, other individuals with special needs. Well, I have a question for you because I mean, when you said I had already lost stuff and the diagnosis for Mark wasn't as shocking or as debilitating as it could have been, I came across a writing in a book I just picked up, and it talks about cynicism. And it says cynicism begins not because you don't care, but because you do care. It starts because you poured out your heart into something and got little in return. Or maybe you got something in return, but it was the opposite of what you desired. Most cynics 
are former optimists. You would never know it now, but there was a time when they were hopeful, enthusiastic, and cheerful. My question is, how did you not become cynical towards the medical community, towards the Lord, towards life? I just didn't allow myself to. Hmm. Um, I, I, I couldn't. Um, I had to fight for my son hmm. um, because he couldn't fight for himself. Yeah, I get that. So I, I, I had to be the one to fight for him. So, um, you know, I, at the same time, couldn't feel bad or feel sorry for myself because if I was busy doing that, who was going to be the one fighting for my son? Right. Um, you know, it's the same, same thing. You know, if, if we don't spend time praying every day for our kids, who is? It's our job as parents to be bathing our kids in prayer, because if we don't, no one else will. The school system definitely won't. Um, so that's our job. And so I, I just made the choice to not allow that to enter in. And and I I trusted God through it. And, you know, I, I actually thank God for taking away my med- medical career so that I could be there for Mark and and help him through that my schedule was free so that I could take him to all his appointments. So I could take him to his therapies uh, because that almost becomes a full-time job. And if I was busy working, you know, my full-time job, that would be hard to do. And I couldn't necessarily do that. So God knew what the future held for us. Hmm. Um, And Mark, if God did not allow me to live through, you know, my original illness, Mark would have never occurred. Mm. He would have never been here. Mm. He came two years after I initially got sick with that. So um, he definitely is a gift of God. Mm. I couldn't be upset at God for that because he is completely a gift from God. Now, I I also want to, we're going to fast forward to this in a minute, but you got to spend time, which time is one of those, you can never get it back issues. And you got to, you were given the gift of time with Mark, not knowing what the future held. Bring us to that place. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, eight years ago now, Mark was cured of his Dravet syndrome and autism when he was born into heaven at the age of five and a half. Mm. And uh, I am so thankful for God, for allowing me to go through all of that. And I'm never going to forget the day that Mark passed away. He came home. He was in kindergarten. He came home from his school bus. He had a one-hour ride on his school bus to go to a special autism class uh, in town. And he came home, and every day he had a whole all-day kindergarten class, and he just was so worn out from that. He would always come home and take a nap, but he was also full boy. So it was hard to stay in bed. And so I'd have <laughs> to stay in his room to make sure he'd fall asleep. And that day was different than any other day. And he got up and he ran across the room, crawled up in my lap and gave me a big hug and kiss. Sorry. And I gave him in my nickname for him was Bubba. I said, I know Bubba. I love you too. And I went, I put him back in bed. 
And then I laid, I laid him down. I went back and sat down. And then a couple of minutes later, he just popped straight up in bed. And even though he couldn't, he had very, he had 30 word vocabulary. That was it. But he could sing two songs. He could sing, you are my sunshine and Jesus loves me. And he sat up and started singing, Jesus loves me. I went over to him. I go, yep, I think you're right. Jesus loves you. And so does daddy. I hugged him. Gave him a kiss and wake him down. And he went to sleep. And he woke up in Jesus' arms. And I know that he knew what was coming. Because it was his way of telling me, hey, Daddy, it's okay. I love you. But I'm going to a better place. I'm going to be healed. And I can't wait to be with Jesus. Because I love him. And he loves me. And even though that's one of the worst days of my life, I thank God for that and how that happened. And through all that, God has drastically changed my life. And amazingly, again, I wasn't as mad and angry with God with that as I was when I lost my career. And I think a lot of it was because Mark did that. He prepared me and he he helped show me, hey, what the whole whole purpose is and that our time on this life is temporary. That if we make Jesus Christ our personal Lord and Savior that we will be reunited one day in heaven with our loved ones who have already gone before us, who have done the same. And I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I will be with Mark again one day in heaven. And that he is, Mark right now, he wasn't able to sweat here on earth, but he's probably the only little redheaded kid in heaven who's able to sweat. (laughs) And he's going nonstop. He won't shut up. He's talking nonstop. <laughs> he's um, getting all those, all those words out that he never got out on Absolutely. this side of heaven. He's, he's making up for last time. <laughs> but, you know, he's, he's sitting there at Jesus' feet and, and worshiping him. But most importantly, he's cured. He's, he's never going to have another seizure again. Mm-hmm. He's never going to suffer through that. He's not going to hurt again. He's not going to have to go through any more of his testing. None of that, because God cured him, and he is now completely whole and completely perfect in every way in heaven with God. And uh, he's through all that. Mark has given me a an amazing passion now for families with special needs, for churches to do special needs. And and to reach others with special needs and to share Jesus with, with individuals with special needs. And that's all because of Mark. Hey, thank you so much for listening to the first part of our conversation. 
You can find the show notes and referenced resources in the podcast description or on our website, reframingministries.com. If you were impacted by the first part of our interview, it would be great if you shared it on social media or shared it with some friends who you know it would encourage. You can email me personally at reframingministries at insight.org and connect with Reframing Ministries on our social media platforms. Thank you again for joining us today at Reframing Ministries. Check back into the Reframing Ministries podcast later this week to listen to the second half of the discussion you heard today. Our desire is to provide biblical help, hope, healing, and humor for people walking through unique and challenging segments in life. And in order to provide for more people, we'd love your support through prayer, sharing this content with friends, and partnered support. The Reframing Ministries podcast is a production of Insight for Living Ministries.